Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here. Good morning to those of you following online, and hello to those of you worshiping in the upper room as well. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, we are launching a new sermon series today. Uh, we are entering into uh, what is historically called Lent. Lent is this season that leads up to Easter Sunday. It's incredibly profound and important for the Christian tradition. It is a historic tradition that has been handed down from generation to generation of Christians. It's a time from, for introspection, of, of learning, of reflection, of really spending time getting to know our faith on a deeper, more robust level. And in effort to do that, we wanted to go back to the absolute basics for this Lenten journey we have in front of us. And so over these next couple of weeks, we are actually going to be studying the Christian DNA. When you say DNA, you might have a couple of things come to mind. What I'm hoping comes to mind are the core or essential components to something. I mean, we're talking about the absolute basic fundamental pieces that make something up, the DNA. And the question becomes, what is the DNA of Christianity? What are the basic fundamental pieces of our Christian faith. And when you begin to discover and understand the basics of Christian faith, you will begin to also understand the basics of Christ church. And exploring the DNA of Christianity, you're going to be getting a crash course in the DNA of Christ church for us as a faith family. And so that's what we're going to be doing over these weeks as we study the DNA of our Christian faith. I want you to uh, imagine sitting at a coffee shop. Uh, we have a saying around here. Uh, the saying is that we are a church for those who aren't here yet. And I want to have you imagine sitting at a coffee shop with someone who is not here yet. A, a friend of yours, someone who you know, a family member. And, and that person is outside of the Christian faith. They are not here in terms of believing and knowing the Christian faith or knowing Jesus Christ, knowing Christ Church, and you're sitting there and having coffee with them, and they know that you attend Christ Church, they know that you're a Christian person, and they lean across the table to you, and they ask you, what is up with Christianity? Like, what is it? I mean, really, what does it mean to believe in Christianity? And you pause for a moment, and you take a really big swig of coffee, <laughs> buying yourself a little time, and you begin to think about how you'd respond to that. I mean, what would you say? What would you say to someone who asks you, what is Christianity? I mean, for those of us who are Christian, this, this, this shapes and identifies who we are as a person. I mean, our values, our decision-making, the way we think and operate, our worldview hinges upon our identity as being a Christian. And yet if someone were to ask us, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would I say? Where would I start? Maybe that's a simple enough question to ask. Where would you even start? Some people start all over the place. I mean, it's all over the map where people start. Some people start with the Bible. They start slinging verses and stuff like that. You know, helpful to a degree, though, because the Bible's been very misused. The Bible's got a lot of baggage of its own. And when you're talking to someone who's asking that question, they may not already believe in the Bible. It might not hold value for them. So maybe you should rethink about starting with the Bible. Maybe you start with your own experience of church, where you've been, what it's been like, how it's been important to you. But that too, it's not necessarily the best place to start. Why? Well, 
man, the church is kind of messy. Hate to break it to you. Full of messy people with messy lives, and church isn't always perfect. And sometimes when you respond by leading with, with your experience of church, you're talking to someone who's actually had a bad experience of church in their past, that they've got baggage associated with the church too. And so maybe you shouldn't start with the church. But where, where do you start? I mean, someone started with you somewhere sometime. Could have been your mom, your dad. They brought you to church. Or they taught you, Jesus loves me, before you fell into bed at night. Or you were around the table and, and you prayed together. Maybe a friend took you out for coffee and you were the person leaning across the table saying, hey, I know you're a Christian. What's up with that? Maybe it was something in college. Maybe it was in high school where you had to study world religion class. And you just get the crash course paragraph on this is what Christianity is. Or you Googled it one day and you looked it up on Wikipedia. Somewhere you started, because everybody has to start somewhere. But if you could choose where to start, where would you start? At Christ Church, for us in this faith family, my exhortation to you, my instruction and encouragement to you, is that we all start in the same place. It's to actually go back to what I believe is truly the start of Christianity. You see, it sounds kind of silly, but, but, silly, but, but, but Christianity? Christianity begins with Christ. On the count of three, I want you to all say Christ when I finish the sentence. Ready? One, and you upper room, you guys too. One, two, three, Christianity begins with? Christ. Yes! Duh. But yes, the place where we start in exploring and sharing and understanding what it means to be a Christian is with Jesus Christ. It is with Jesus. Now, this is actually good news. If you're at that coffee shop and you're sitting across from someone and they ask you about this whole thing and you're like, I'm going to lead with Jesus, that's great news. Why? Because most people are okay with Jesus I mean, seriously, most people are okay with Jesus. I, I was sitting in a car once, and I was in a carpooling with somebody, and I was in the back seat. And I was in the back seat with somebody who had a notorious reputation of disliking Christians. He was very anti-Christian. He continues to be that way to this very day. I know him. I have spent time with him. And he knew that I was a pastor. And he's a very opinionated guy, not afraid to share his opinion of politics and sports and all this stuff, and uh, religion as well. He, he, he looked at me this one time as we were carpooling, as we were driving along, and he blindsided me. He goes, hey, yeah, what's up? He goes, you know, you Christians mess everything up. Just kind of sat there waiting, okay. And then he kind of looked at me and said, you know, but Jesus is kind of cool. In my profound wisdom, I looked back at him and said, yeah, he's cool. That's all I had. <laughs> but it's true. Jesus is cool. He's accessible. He's someone you can begin with. I mean, have you ever heard anybody say, Jesus, that guy was a jerk. I have yet to experience that. Most people are okay with Jesus. 
Most people will acknowledge and believe. They'll, they'll understand that he was a historical figure. They're not going to debate that. They're not going to argue with that. He was a historical figure. We have evidence of Jesus' life beyond even the Bible itself. He lived at a time of the Roman Empire. The Romans were meticulous historians and record keepers. And there are actually records where Jesus is more than even a footnote. Like he actually shows up as someone who's referred to in, in, in Roman historian uh, context. Romans are, are looking at their provinces. They're very uh, specific specifically targeting, you know, they're, they're tracking rebellions or issues that might arise within the government and, and the, they could lose control. And Jesus lived in Israel, ancient Israel, as a historical, actual person. And so they actually kept very close track of Israel because Israel had a reputation of having all these rebellions. And when Jesus starts making all these statements and starts his public ministry and people start following him, Rome notes this and says, ooh, do we have a potential rebellion on our hands? And so there's actually records of Jesus, the rabble-rouser, and his followers. No one really debates the fact that there was a guy, an ancient Jewish guy, who used to live at one point in time in a Roman province in Israel. He was a historical figure. Now, some people will take one more step. They'll take another step, and they'll say that he was this great moral person, moral or ethical, uh, someone who inspires a philosophy, if you will. He was this guy who, who, who inspired a moral, ethical perspective or philosophy that helps enrich and inspire the lives of others. He's like Socrates, or he's like, 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 like Confucius or Gandhi. He was this great moral teacher, this ethical moral teacher whose philosophy can be adopted and teachings are great and worthwhile. They can be kind of summarized is love thy neighbor. If you're familiar with that line, it kind of, you know, Jesus is big on that. You know what I mean? And so they will, they will say, you know, Jesus is cool. I'm down with Jesus. He was a really great moral, ethical teacher. Some people will go one more step and say, Jesus is, is yes, he lived. Yes, he had these great teachings. But you know what really makes him special is that he had this connection with the supernatural. That Jesus is somehow this, this godly man. That he, he had this deep spirituality. Jesus was, was in some ways like a prophet or some, a spokesperson for God, someone who was connected to God, to the supernatural, and, and he really had that, that spirituality in tune. He was this godly guy, and it was just really too bad that he had to die <laughs> because he was so connected to the supernatural. And so you'll hear these arguments, you'll hear these stances, these perspectives that people bring. He's historical. He's a teacher. He's this great religious figure. But you don't have to be Christian. This, this doesn't make up what a Christian believes. You don't have to be Christian and believe these things. Believing these things doesn't make you a Christian. So what is that which differentiates us as Christians? I can say it like this. Most people, most people in general, believe in the life and the death of Jesus. Christians. Christians believe in the life, the death, and resurrection. Of Jesus. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique. That we believe that Jesus died. 
that he lived and he died, that, that he walked the earth, that he had teachings, that he interacted with people, but that eventually he was classified as a criminal and he was crucified on a cross. Blood ran down, nails were in his hands and his feet. They shoved a spear in his side and bodily fluid gushed out. His chest cavity caved in and he suffocated to death. But Jesus' life and death doesn't make him unique. We're living, and someday we're going to die. We can acknowledge his life and death, but what separates us is that we believe this dead Jesus whose body was brought down from that cross, who entered into a grave, into a tomb. There was a tomb where they placed him, probably on a stone slab. They placed his body on there so that it could decay that it could become dust and ash, that this Jesus, who is now dead on a slab of stone, I mean, I'm talking super dead, like three days later, like stinky dead. That guy, after three days, his blood began to pump. His heart started again. He took a breath. He came back to life. He swung his legs over the side of that stone table he's sitting on and slowly got up. A little shaky. But he stood up again. And he stretched. And he put one foot in front of the other and walked out to to, to the opening of this tomb, of this grave that was representative of of death and sin and the past and the brokenness of this world. And as he's standing in the opening of the tomb, he puts two hands out there and he looks out into the life and the world before him. He sees the sun rising. He smells the wet dew on the grass. He breathes in the morning air. He hears birds chirping. He's alive. And he takes that deep breath and he says, Ta-da! Ah! Slip that in there. All right, some of you don't know what's going on. That's all right. You got to come back for Easter and you'll find out more. See, look at that. I'm already laying good groundwork, people. Good groundwork. Now he says, Ta-da! I'm alive. I'm back. Game on. He didn't stay dead, he was resurrected. And that which was impossible now becomes possible as death itself is defeated. The Bible says it like this. In 1 Corinthians, one of Jesus' followers, Pastor Paul, is writing a letter and he's reminding people, the early church, of what it was like. Jesus was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. It had been predicted well before this whole event, well before the life and the death of Jesus actually took place. Everything had been predicted. His life, he himself, if you go into the gospel accounts, the firsthand eyewitness accounts of his life, sometimes called Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel accounts, we call them scriptures. Jesus himself predicts his life, his death, his resurrection. He says, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. And Paul is saying, look, it's just as the scriptures, those eyewitness accounts, and all of the historical tradition had said was going to happen. It happened. 
He was even seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Peter is one of his best buds, his closest followers. The twelve that that walked with him, ate with him, spent time with him, listened to his teachings, sat literally at his feet. After that, listen to this. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. I mean, the, the, the people, the crowds of people that had, that had followed Jesus, that had, that had walked with him and listened to him preach the Sermon on the Mount, that had, that had listened and witnessed miracles happen, and yet had witnessed his death and had given up hope. Over 500 of those people witnessed him alive, resurrected. I mean, this is how the church starts. This is where Christian faith begins. With these 500 people that had given up on Jesus, now see him alive. He's back. What do you mean he's back? No, like he's back. He's alive. He's alive? Yes, I saw him in the flesh. No, he died. We saw him. We buried him together. No, he's back. Like really back. I walked with him. I saw him in the flesh. He's alive. And it became the catalyst faith moment for Christianity itself. As people laid witness to the resurrected Jesus Christ alive and walking in this world again. He was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. So eventually they die off. They tell their children They tell their friends, they tell their children, the faith gets passed on. Paul continues, then he was seen by James. Oh, this is good. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen as though I had been born at the wrong time. I also saw him. I like how he slips that in there himself. Uh, Let me tell you about James. You see that name up there, James? Not many people know this. James is the biological brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers and sisters, biological, by Mary and Joseph. James is one of those brothers. I mean, you want to talk about having a complex at home, sibling rivalries? You imagine if your older brother is, you know, God. It's kind of like hard to follow in those footsteps. You know what I'm saying? Well, he's Jesus. He's perfect. So I'm just James. I mean, there's even evidence in the scriptures that there's tension between Jesus and his family at first. Because Jesus starts running around and talking and doing all this incredible stuff and making all these radical, outlandish claims about himself and about life and about people. And and it's like, wait, this is my brother, man. We ran around in diapers together. And yet James, James witnesses the death and resurrection of Jesus. Seeing Jesus alive is such a significant catalyst moment of faith for James. He actually becomes lead pastor of this new church, the church in Jerusalem. The first Christian church is led by Jesus' brother James. He's so influential. He speaks with such passion and fervor. We know this because he actually writes a letter that we have in the Bible, the letter of James. It's in our Bible, in our scriptures. It's the same guy. I mean, what would it take 
for you to believe that your sibling, your brother, is God. I'll tell you. It takes a resurrection. It takes a resurrection to inspire and bring about faith that will change a person and change this world. James, James sits down and he begins to to think about everything that Jesus had said, everything that Jesus had done, all the claims that Jesus made about life and his teachings, and, and I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said that. He is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That must be true. How do I know this? Because he's alive. I mean, anybody who can predict their death and resurrection and actually follows through on the resurrection part, you should probably pay attention to what they say. And James is looking at what Jesus had said and claimed. And it moves him to faith, having witnessed the resurrected and alive Jesus Christ. James starts to believe all of Jesus' incredible comments, teachings, and promises that he made to James, to the disciples, to you, and to me. Let me put it to you like this. When we begin to believe that Jesus came back to life, we begin to believe what he said about life. That your life matters. That you can experience healing and hope. That you're forgiven. That you have promise of resurrection after death as well. That you don't have to live life the way that you were, but that you can actually be invited into a whole new kind of person with a new worldview and a new value set and a new way of making decisions and a new way of thinking about yourself and your spouse and your kids and your friends and your job and this world. That with faith, faith in a resurrected Jesus, you can lean into the scriptural stories and learn and believe what he said about this life and the life yet to come. The disciples themselves experienced this. Listen to this in John 2. This is one of those firsthand eyewitness accounts. After he was raised from the dead, speaking of Jesus, his disciples remembered he had said this, that he had predicted his own life and death and his resurrection. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said, what Jesus had taught, what Jesus had shared with them. They were inspired to deeper, more profound faith and trust in Jesus because they knew and believed he was alive. So, Where does that leave us? Here. That Christianity, understanding the Christian faith, the Christian life, our DNA, 
It begins with the life, death, and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that is where we start. Christianity begins with Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. All right, I'm going to invite you to shout it out one more time as I count to three. Christianity begins with Christ. Here we go. You ready? One, two, three. Christianity begins with? Christianity begins with? Christianity begins with? Yes. It begins with Christ Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. And the hope and faith therein. Let's close with prayer. Please pray with me. Jesus, we give thanks. We give thanks for your sacrifice upon the cross. For your willingness to step into death. And yet we celebrate that you do not remain on the cross. You do not remain in the tomb. That the cross is empty. That the tomb is empty. And that you are alive. Resurrected. You promised in life never to leave us nor forsake us. But to be in and among your people. Because of your resurrection, we believe that this morning and welcome you and your presence here. We ask and pray that the reality of your resurrection would claim us, deepen our faith, our trust in you, and that our Christian faith would begin there with you and your person, resurrected and alive. We pray blessings over this Lenten journey as we lean deeper into understanding our faith that has claimed us and ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to what you would have us see, hear, and know. Give us courage to be in conversation with other Christians and non-Christians around us, continually sharing the faith that we have, the faith that begins with you and your resurrection. Jesus, we give you thanks that we can pray to you as our alive, resurrected God. We pray this in your precious and in your holy name. Amen.